Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Back with Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Frankie Graziano. Our first guest on our women's basketball special is someone I got to watch when she came from Illinois to play basketball in stores at the University of Connecticut. And then when she got to the WNBA, staying in Connecticut with the sun, she did an instructional video with us at Connecticut Public for kids in southeastern Connecticut. Really cool thing. Let's welcome now the now Director of Franchise Development and Assistant General Manager for the Connecticut Sun, Morgan Tuck. Good morning, Morgan. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for coming on today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Anybody listening that wants to talk about women's basketball with us can join the conversation. 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to talk to you about your amazing body of work here in Connecticut, but I hope you'll allow me here to ask you first about somebody you played against in the WNBA, Brittany Griner. She's back in the United States after being released from a Russian prison in December. She says she intends to play. You and your peers stood behind her throughout the whole thing. What's What do you think her story is going to do to impact the season? Um, I think it's going to totally amplify it. You know, I think uh, Brittany was obviously – before this whole situation, one of the most known women's basketball players um, ever. But I think now she's known even on a greater scale because there's a lot of people that are interested in her story and her situation and how she's going to respond that maybe never watch women's basketball or never even thought about watching a WNBA game. Um, So I think you're going to see a big um, kind of excitement or a bigger amplification of this season compared to those in the past. You think it's going to do anything for for her fellow players and, and, and teammates, especially with all that they had to go through last year? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it could be on the positive side and negative side, right? You know, when you get increased attention, it's not always all good, you know, and it's not all with great intent. But I do think um, for the players and their, her teammates and other WNBA players, you know, I think it's, you know, you kind of have a sense of, an, of empowerment, you know, where, you know, you have someone that we all know have played against for years, kind of got to see develop, um, go through such a, a unprecedented situation, a crazy situation that I don't think anyone could have ever imagine that would happen um and to see her you know handling it the way that she has and then to be ready to come back and play you know it just speaks to how great of a person she is and then i think for the players you know it, it just inspires all um the current players former players people watching that you know no matter what the situation is you can come back and kind of get your life back on track you've worn the jersey representing america before so uh, were you kind of you talked about the negative aspect you you kind of surprised that an Olympic hero would 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 get such a such a disrespect here. Uh, I guess not not obviously by everybody, but online. And then I guess the 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 disrespect from from a country where she succeeded so so well in ball over in Russia as well. Was that something that surprised you? Um, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily surprised. You know, I think the 
the great part about America is people can have differing opinions and thoughts and stances on things, right? Like that's the best part of America, right? You can believe what you believe and stand up for what you believe in. Um, and so obviously it's a great honor to play for Team USA. I played with Brittany in the 2018 World Cup um, in the Canary Islands. And, you know, it's it's such a proud moment. Everyone is proud to represent your country. Um, and I think, you know, you're always going to have some negative, right? So I don't think it's necessarily surprising. Um, I think it's always everyone has an opinion. Um, and the good part is that we're able to share our opinions and able to voice how we feel. So I think, you know, it wasn't surprising, like I said, but, you know, it's just a part of what it takes, you're, right? Like when you represent the country, when you're in the public eye, you know, there's going to be more opinions because more people are seeing you and getting a little insight into what you're doing. Um, but I think that's just kind of a part of the process. Hey, I want to talk to you about playing overseas because you played for China, right, in, in your career. Yep, I did two years in China and then my last time overseas was in Turkey. What made you uh, go overseas? Um, the money, honestly. You know, I think, um, you know, not everyone. I can't say for all players that you can make more overseas in WNBA. Um, and that was also before this, uh, the CBA that came into effect in 2020, um, where salaries increased as well. But, you know, I think, one, obviously, I wanted to make money. You know, that that's a big draw. And then, you know, I think for players that, you know, the, the offseason is really long. So to be able to actually play a little bit more and not, you know, kind of sit around or just do training until the next WBA season. Those are kind of the two big reasons. But is there any level of frustration there that you got to go overseas? Basketball is so popular in America, but you got to go overseas to make more money. Any frustration with that? Yeah, I think it's kind of a mix. You know, I think I was very grateful to be able to do it. You know, I think my experience uh, doing my first two seasons – in China, it was very eye-opening. That was the first time I, you know, I had traveled with USA Basketball and been around the world, but that was the first time I was really immersed in a different culture, right? And I think, you know, I gained um, insight and things and experiences that I could have never gotten if I didn't go play overseas. Um, but then, yes, on the flip side, you know, you just get used to missing holidays or, you know, there the season's pretty short. So, like, I was fortunate that my family got to come spend Christmas in China. And, you know, so it's just really inconvenient. The time differences, having to be away, always on the road living in a hotel, you know, so those things aren't enjoyable. Um, so I think, you know, there's there's definitely the pros and cons of having to go overseas. Four seasons, excuse me, five seasons of the WNBA. I want to talk to you about visibility. How important was it for you, for other women, younger women, to, to see you out there on the court thriving, to see Candace Parker out there dominating, John Quell Jones killing it on the court, as we've been able to see here in Connecticut for some time. How important uh, that visibility for you? Uh, it's huge. You know, it's funny you say Candace Parker. You know, she's from Naperville, Illinois, about 10, 15 minutes from where I grew up. And I went to, I swear, every one of her high school games, I got her autograph probably 20, 30 times coming up. <laughs> um, and, you know, she was a big inspiration. Lisa Leslie was why I decided I wanted to be a WNBA player. You know, so I think being able to see players and see women that are, doing something amazing right and it kind of puts it plants that seed of people that you know maybe that's what their dream is going to become so i think making sure that you know games are on tv and people can easily watch the um watch our games and just get that little bit of inspiration i think it's it it's kind of it's hard to like put a value to it but it's just it's something that can totally change someone's life and kind of direct their path as they keep growing up now that you moved up to the front office here and you're a, you're a bigwig here in, uh, in, in, uh, for the Connecticut Sun, what can I ask you about your playing career that's going to stick with you? What's going to stick with you? Well, I, will say, I definitely don't consider myself a bigwig at all, but <laughs> um, I'll say, you know, I think the, the thing I've realized the most coming in 
um, with no real work experience, like I say, right, my background was basketball. Um, I think just that work ethic, you know, I think when I first came in in the job, I never had an office job. So I was like, well, what is working hard look like in an office, right? I knew on the basketball court, working hard was getting in the gym, watching films, spending time. Um, so I've had to learn that, you know, you can, there's working hard looks different in different places, but at the end of the day, it's all about your work ethic, right? It's about putting in the time, making sure you're using your resources, asking questions. And so I think that's something I really learned and got to kind of become a habit is having a really high work ethic and no matter what the situation, if I'm uncomfortable or feeling overwhelmed or unsure what to do, that you can always work harder to be able to figure it out. And hopefully that can help me be successful as I keep going forward. The Connecticut Sun, a defending WNBA finalist, consistently playing for championships now. But when you make the transition from stores to Uncasville, there's like five losing seasons in a row or something like that. Uh, right when you got there at that point yeah it was rough my my rookie year we were not good at all you know it was it was a str- it was a little bit of a struggle especially you know I you know you win the championship my senior year and then kind of like a, a little over a month later you're playing in your first WNBA game so it was like a big um, learning curve I'd say um, but that's what it was great to see over I played for my four years here to kind of see the progression and how we went from a really bad team in the league to one of the top teams every year Mm-hmm. And that 2017 team, the year after, uh, I mean, you come in as a rookie with John Kell, who was a rookie at that point. And then, you know, Courtney Williams is on the team, Alyssa Thomas, these household names we've come accustomed to. Jasmine Thomas was on the team as well. I mean, that team got good in a hurry. Yeah, it did. And I think a big um, point to obviously Kurt Miller as a head coach and GM, um, putting those pieces together. But, you know, I think what helped was over those years, we had a really – consistent core of players you know and I don't think that's a a very common thing in the pro game where you're able to keep kind of your your team pretty similar but I think that continuity really helped us um, get better year over year what about the support I mean the 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 fan base in Connecticut is probably premier in 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 the WNBA consistently a top draw I'd say hosted four WNBA all-star games for a reason What's it like uh, for, for, for you and other players to play on the court and at, at Mohegan Sun? Uh, it's awesome. You know, I think that's, at least to me, even going back to my UConn days, that was a big draw was that I had never seen fan support for women's basketball like I saw in Connecticut. Um, and so I think any when you've spent your whole life, up to, you know, when you're playing, your life isn't that long at that point, but you spent most of your life working towards something. And then you see that people in Connecticut really appreciate it. They love it. They support it. They're at the games. Um, it, it means a lot. And I think it makes players, you know, more, just more excited to play. Right. And they feel like what they're doing is is valued. Um, and, I, you know, it always feels good anytime you can go into an arena and it's loud and it's a lot of people. It's, it's just a good environment. Kurt Miller has moved on to Los Angeles. Coach Stephanie White takes over, and uh, you're going to be working with Coach White and Team President Jen Rosati. Tell me a little bit about your role. Yeah, so um, we also have our GM, Darius Taylor, that came in recently. He was Mm -hmm. assistant GM with Atlanta um, before he ended up coming here. Um, And so basically I kind of, I started with kind of a double role. So I came in this um, with the Connecticut Sun on this side as director of franchise development, which is really focused on the community, youth basketball, social justice, that type of thing. And then um, I really went to get a little bit more on the basketball side. So 
Um, I kind of split half my time with assistant GM. And so that's really helping Darius um, with all of his duties of like, you know, now we're getting really close to free agency, figuring out roster scenarios, who we're looking at, who our priorities are, um, getting ready for, you know, scouting schedules, different things like that, getting ready for um, the draft. Um, so really, it's just like helping in any way that I can, um, but at the same time, really trying to learn and understand what it takes on the basketball side or what it takes to put together a team or managing a basketball operations staff, things like that. So it's a really cool opportunity that, you know, I kind of get to learn both sides of the business, right? I get the kind of traditional business side where it's marketing, ticket sales, things like that. And then I get to learn the basketball side as well. May 19th, the opener against Indiana, and that should be a good one because Indiana is uh, retooling in a big way. And, uh, oh, boy, they might have Aaliyah Boston on that team by the time they uh, <laughs> they play you all. But uh, that before that's free agency, like you said, anything you could tell us about the approach to free agency at least? Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously our roster is going to have to change some. You know, I, we've had a really, like I said before, a really consistent roster. Um, but, you know, we knew at some point it was going to have to change up a little bit. But I think we're really at a point where we're still in the hunt for a championship, right? Like, we don't feel like we need to reinvent the wheel and totally overhaul things like that. So, you know, just trying to find those kind of pieces that can kind of get us over the hump is really our focus um, and making sure that we're just doing our due diligence, you know, checking out everybody, trying to see, um, uh, as much as we can to try to make the best decisions for our team. One of the top players from last year's squad is a free agent, Brianna Jones. Just wanted to mention that before I ask you yeah. this big question. You got any NCAA eligibility left? I know they're handing it out uh, <laughs> left and right because everybody's losing uh, uh, years due to COVID. What What do you got? Uh, I know you know the Huskies just keep getting stung by that injury bug. I know. And honestly, so I didn't, I had an option to do a fifth year at UConn and I didn't take it, but I'll say, even if I did have eligibility, which I'm sure I don't cause I'm uh, too old, but I would just, I wouldn't help the injury issue. I had too many injuries my time at UConn and after, so I don't think I could, I couldn't help too much at this point. Oh my God. It's been, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a brutal season for, for UConn, but just, but, but only, I guess, in, in injuries, but the work is still there, that work ethic, that legendary work ethic, because only two losses for the Huskies so far. That's got to make you yeah. happy. Yeah, it's, it's really surprising. You know, when you see, especially you, even before the season, right, Paige, you knew that was going to be a huge one. Um, and then you just see, Ugh. like, injury after injury. It keeps happening. You know, having um, Coach Ariema that's been out a little bit, you know, but they're still winning, right? They're finding a way to get it done. And so I think that just says a lot about, obviously, what Coach and CD have built over time, right? We all know that. But to just see how the players are responding to it and how people are stepping up and how they're just making plays. And I think that's really going to help as the season starts winding down um, because, you know, if they can win tough games with really limited uh, people on the bench or not having their starters, you know, it's, it's going to be amazing when it gets kind of crunch time and then they have their full, uh, for the most part, their full roster. Such a pleasure to talk to Morgan Tuck. Thank you so much for coming on and what you're doing uh, to grow the game in Connecticut and beyond. I appreciate you coming on, Morgan. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Stay tuned as we bring in an outstanding panel of women next to dive deeper into Brittany Griner's return to play and the WNBA. Hit us up if you want to talk women's hoops, 888-720-9677.
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. Brittany Griner, one of the biggest basketball stars on the planet. She plays overseas in addition to her being a WNBA star, she was arrested on her way back to her Russian team. Uh, excuse me, she was on her way back to her Russian team last February, and she was arrested for drug possession in a Moscow airport. It caused her to obviously miss the WNBA season in 2022, but bigger than basketball in Russian custody. And at one point in August, sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison. What a whirlwind! Twelve months it's been for Griner, her family, teammates, fans. And I can't imagine what it's been like for our next guest to follow the whole thing. Joining us now on Where We Live are Lindsay Darkangelo. Lindsay writes about the WNBA for The Athletic and Just Women's Sports. Natalie Hevron. Natalie is a contributing writer for The Next. That's a women's basketball newsroom. And Lindsay Gibbs. Lindsay's the founder of Power Plays Newsletter, a no BS newsletter about women's sports. Hello, Lindsay, Natalie, and Lindsay. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Want to make sure you can all hear me. We're going to have fun with two Lindsays on here, but I promise uh, when I when I introduce you all, I'll uh, say your full names. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> you can join the conversation now with all of us, 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR. You all heard that interview with Morgan Tuck. Lindsay Darkangel, let me start with you. What can you say about her responses of why women go overseas to play ball? I, I mean, she's speaking from personal experience. Um, there are a lot of reasons, but um, I think primarily it's the opportunity to, you know, in, in increase your, your wealth and make more money um, aside just from experiencing a different country and, and, and traveling and, and meeting new people and, and having all those types of uh, life experiences. It's the uh, making more money and extending your ability to, um, you know, affect your career for the long term, you know, set yourself up and, and going overseas is, is a way that these players are able to do that. They, they can make um, up to five times as much as they make here in the WNBA. So it's, it's obviously a lucrative decision. But does pay equity kind of pay a role in that and maybe, I don't know, drive, drive players to go overseas? Is that fair to say? Is that, is the, is that, is that fair to ask? Yeah, I think I think most players would be honest in saying that that's a, a major driving factor. And then I want to talk about the distribution of of money uh, in the in the league. 
profits, right? Is that is that is that what we're talking about here? Maybe maybe there's a way for the league to distribute more of the ticket sales, jersey sales, things like that to players to 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 maybe keep it attractive, make it more attractive, or at least give the players more money. Yeah, and I think if you you know Kelsey Plum was just uh, out out and about talking about this, making the rounds and, and trying to point out that. WNBA players aren't expecting NBA salaries. You know, that's not, you know, it's not the, that's not the equal footing that they're talking about. They're talking about increasing their revenue share and things you just were speaking about in Jersey sales and other means of income. Um, I know the WNBA had an influx of capital last February. It's almost been a year. And, and their goal is to, to help, bring that along to help improve and increase um, player salaries and player revenue um, through different means. Um, one of those things is, is player marketing. Um, they're designating, I believe it's 1.5 million into player marketing, trying to get players more money through media deals and corporate sponsorship deals. I believe they have 10 players under contract right now with the league, um, league marketing to stay here instead of going overseas to do appearances, events, clinics, et cetera. Um, just having having them here as a year-round presence, just to build build up the league's um, visibility and, and become household names, uh, to increase uh, viewership and fan and in the fan base, and um, you know that's that's one way of doing it. But yes, uh, increasing player salary is is part of the discussion, and it's it's going to um, become you know impactful as far as keeping players from having to go overseas in the first place. Lindsey Gibbs, I know I shouldn't have been uh, surprised by by some of the reactions to to what happened with Brittany Griner, but Brittany's so special in terms of being an Olympic gold medalist. Everybody loves to watch her dunk uh, a basketball, and then in Russia, so much success for Ekaterinburg. I mean, l- the whole thing kind of unbelievable to this day. What's your biggest takeaway regarding Brittany's treatment here, and uh, do you worry about our stars when they go overseas to play international ball now? I think absolutely. I think you'd be silly not to be worried, especially at this point. And I think, you know, what Brittany Griner's situation shows is that, you know, there is literally, and we all know this, but some people don't, you know, there's no dividing sports and politics. Unfortunately, sports can unite us, but there are also some things that are lightning rod issues. You know, Brittany as a black queer woman is a lightning rod um, and unfortunately seen as a divisive figure just for being who she is, just for fighting for her country to be better, for asking for, you know, better treatment of people and asking for social justice. You know, she loves her country. She represents the USA proudly. But there are some people that are never going to respect her because she would you know, take a knee during the national anthem because she would would speak out about racism within the United States. And that goes for all WNBA players uh, for the most part. I mean, this is an outspoken social justice driven league and these players are not um, comfortable to just sit back and take whatever crumbs kind of society uh, gives them. And they're going to fight for, you know, the betterment of, um, the world and that 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 wrinkles a lot of feathers uh no matter where you are of people who just want you to accept the status quo uh and of people who are uncomfortable um so i think it's been i think devastating to see that even britney's return 
home, such a good news story, um, has been spun b- into a negative by a certain fraction of the United States population. Uh, but it's also not surprising. And it's also enough, you know, Brittany Griner, um, you know, she came out uh, as open up about being a lesbian right out of college. She was one of, you know, the first players and kind of the new wave of players to do so. And she's always been out front and always been susceptible, unfortunately, to criticism just for who she is. So I think she's uniquely prepared to kind of deal with that. And I hope that, you know, what she experiences more is the outpouring of love and gratitude and excitement from so many of us that she's home. Natalie, I want you to weigh in here. Uh, I, I remember in particular one thing uh, One thing I was paying attention to and one thing that was really devastating to listen to at the time. On August 4th, Griner's teammates were actually right here in Connecticut as she was sentenced to nine years in prison, and they had to go out and play against the Sun that night and talk to reporters afterward. And uh, it, it was brutal to hear Skylar Diggins and some of the other teammates really go through what they were talking about. What – what have you heard about the impact Griner's imprisonment has had on the game and, and people around it, Natalie? Yeah, I wasn't there at the game in August, but I was in D.C. Um, a couple of months prior. Um, I believe the games were June 12th and June 14th, um, right around the time that they were able to meet um, with some members of the government um, and learn a little bit more. But you could really tell how impacted the players were um, and throughout the season teams around the league were honoring um, Brittany Griner um, and I know DC had a shoe drive I know other WNBA teams did as well um, but the league throughout the season um, and especially after the season it continued um, all the way up through her release and return home um, was just an outpouring of support um, not only in the WNBA but in college basketball as well. Lindsay Darkangelo, what does Brittany Griner's incarceration and then the return mean for the WNBA? What do you think? Uh, joy is the word that just comes to mind. Just incredible relief and joy and, and gratefulness. Um, you know, they the players re- refer to each other as, as as their sisters, and you know, in, in a lot of interviews and. Um, quotes that you hear from from players around the league about this it's you know we're our sister's home so you know she's so glad that our sister is back and where she, rightfully where she belongs and I think it's just going to be a period of you know giving Brittany just time to to heal emotionally physically mentally however she needs to heal from from the traumatic situation she's already indicated that she wants to play basketball this season she wants to be back with the Phoenix Mercury and so I think leading up to the start of the season during preseason and, and the start of the regular season, especially her first game, is just going to be a very, very overwhelming, joyful experience for WNBA fans all around the country, all around the world, and, and the players themselves. But, but maybe perhaps for black women as well, for, for women in the LGBTQ community, like uh, we're... We're, I, I'm focusing a lot on the negative here today, but it's got to be it's got to be a boost to 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 be able to see Griner. Hopefully, we don't know what's going to happen yet and where she'll play. She says she intends to play for the Mercury, but hopefully, out there thriving. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, she 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 holds a, a, rep- a representation uh, factor for, as you said, um, as Lindsay said, you know, queer black women. And I'm queer myself. Um, and when those players, when she came out and, and other players started to follow suit and just said, this is who I am, you know, uh, you know, embrace me or, or, or keep it moving. Um, they really forced the league's hand as far as its transformation and acceptance of um, its queer fan base and its queer players. And, and there was a complete turnaround from, from the beginnings of the league to where it is now as far as support and, and just inclusion goes. And she was a driving force for that. And so, you know, there is a special connection there with the queer fan base, of course. Yeah, you've written um, extensively about how they, they kind of shied away from, mm-hmm. or they, mm-hmm. they would uh, they would actively promote white women more in, in, in the coverage. Straight, straight married straight players women, yes. often got, you know, front billing and, and marketing and media guides and things of that nature. And, and it's, it's been an evolution, but where we are now is, is because of the players. It's because of players like Brittany. Um, so that is another huge um, factor to having her back out there as well. And um, like I said, it's just going to be, you know, I'm just talking about it. I feel this like overwhelming, sense of emotion just talking about the fact that we you know we could see her out there again um as as not only playing the game she loves and is so very good at but just the joy um that basketball brings to her and and brings to so many fans Lindsay gibbs any any uh any any inside uh info what's the latest i guess you've heard uh here on 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 Brittany Kreiner i saw the most recent thing i think i've seen is the instagram post where she announced that she was going to play Yeah, you know, I think I've heard reports that she's, you know, is working out, that she has worked out with the Phoenix, her Phoenix Mercury teammates. I think even though she is technically a free agent, you know, I think it would shock everyone if she wasn't, uh, didn't get re-signed with the Mercury and, you know, that didn't get uh, settled very quickly in free agency um, terms. You know, I think one of the things for me, it's just, it's think it's a great sign that she wants to get back on the court. Of course, we all know that with trauma, you just never know how the healing process is going to be. It's not a linear process. So of course, I think it's important that we all give her space and, you know, as much rope, as much time as she needs to kind of, you know, um, you know, return in whatever way she sees fit. But if she does get back on the court like she says she wants to and like so many of us want to I think one of the things it's just you know that first moment she takes the court of course will be emotional but their fan base is all across the league who are excited to welcome her back so it's not just going to be you know that one moment of you know gratitude it's going to be over and over again throughout the WNBA season as she travels to different arenas and a different set of fans get to express their their gratitude, their appreciation and their love for her. And I, it was such a dark cloud hanging over the WNBA season last year. I know for myself, for many other writers, you just, it was hard to sometimes even focus on the sport. And I know for the players and coaches much more so um, because there was just, you just, I mean, Brittany Griner wasn't there. The league wasn't whole. So I think it's just going to be a very special time Um you know, if and when she hopefully does get to return to the court. 
Natalie Heverin, uh, Griner's a free agent, but she says she'll play this year for the Mercury. As Lindsey Gibbs said, she'd be shocked. I think everybody would be if she didn't play there. But other big free agents include Brianna Stewart, Candace Parker, Diana Taurasi. What, anything can you tell us about free agency or at least maybe something you're looking forward to? Um, I think as we've seen the last couple of years, just expect more chaos. Uh, <laughs> when you least expect it, open your phone to a million notifications from something surprising. Um, I remember driving from my uh, off-campus apartment to campus uh, to do something, and within five minutes, Dewana Bonner had been traded to the sun back in 2020. Um, so just that sort of uh, lovely chaoticness uh, that I think free agency in any sport can provide. Um, I'm really excited to see where Brianna Stewart ends up, um, as well as Brianna Jones. Will Emma Mieseman come back to uh, Washington, D.C.? Um, a lot of question marks, a lot of big name free agents, but I'm just excited to see how it all plays out. And then we don't know what teams will look like with roster changes, but uh, I don't know. Any quick any quick predictions from either of the Lindsay's, Lindsay Gibbs or Lindsay Darkangelo? Lindsay Darkangelo, you go first. Um, I think I think Diana Taurasi is going to stay in Phoenix. I like I'd be just as shocked if she mm-hmm. left and went someplace else too, because she is Phoenix Mercury basketball. And I think um, the, the question for me is how the Mercury roster is going to look going forward. Um, you know, with Skylar Diggins Smith um, probably not playing this, this season. Um, but yeah, I think the big key to the puzzle, as Natalie said, is, is where Brianna Stewart's going to go because if she ends up uh, let's say in, in New York with the Liberty, you know, that could change the, uh, the dynamic of the league a bit. Um, in a fun, exciting way. And then, you know, the Chicago Sky keeping their core together um, is going to be a a challenge, but, you know, that would be their number one goal going into free agency and trying to get their roster um, because they're still championship contender when they're all together. So, uh, and also the Aces, the Aces uh, looking to run it back um, with their roster in place. They don't really have to do much of anything. They have everything all set. and ready to roll um, to try to repeat. So just lots of lots of fun and good storylines to pay attention to. Lindsey Gibbs, we don't know, again, what teams are going to look like with roster changes on the way due to free agency, but we do know that something's happening uh, in Indianapolis. The Indiana Fever, <laughs> young, a lot of draft picks, uh, six, six important picks last year, and then the big one this year. Their friend, it happens to be their first uh, number one overall pick. Yeah, um, Leah Boston, I think, you know, it's going to be very excited. Once again, like, uh, it would shock everyone if she didn't go number one overall in the draft, a South Carolina star, and go to Indiana. And, you know, they have just announced a new head coach, Christy Sides, and uh, I think just announced a couple of new assistants. So, you know, the Nina Fever are one of the teams that are looking to that are kind of in a rebuild phase. They have been for a few years, but I'm really excited. Um, what's some new voices there. And of course, a superstar of Aaliyah Boston's potential. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a number one overall pick in every draft. It's not always a transformational player, right? But that's, I think that's what we all see in Aaliyah Boston. So I'm really excited for that fan base to get that jolt of energy 
And, you know, also really excited. A few other things I want to point out. I think the biggest question marks beyond, I think, the Connecticut Sun um, it, and Brianna Stewart is, you know, the Chicago sky. They don't have Candace Parker, Vandersloot. Is, is Allie Quigley going to retire? Um, there's so many questions around the Chicago sky, who, of course, just won two years ago. And the Los Angeles Sparks are also, after some rough years, they brought in, um, of course, head coach Kurt Miller, who you all know from Connecticut, uh, kind of shocked everyone when he went over to Los Angeles. Uh, the Agumake sisters are free agents, so we're going to be curious to see what they do. But they seem to be investing a lot in their front office in ways that we have not seen the Sparks organization do, uh, I think, to put it mildly. So I'm really curious if we can see a bounce back season, um, you know, in Los Angeles. I think we can all agree it would be very good for the league if that team had some success and could kind of recapture the, uh, you know, the attention of the broader market there. And then we got to talk about the Sun. You mentioned that Kurt Miller leaving uh, and now going over there. Stephanie, excuse me, to the Sparks. Stephanie White's going to be taking over. Sun players may be trying to win their first title this year. They may have to do it without Brianna Jones. Who wants to take in and or jump in and talk about the Sun here? Go for it, Natalie. Yeah, I think that's Natalie's. Uh... <laughs> Go ahead, Natalie. Yeah. Natalie. Um, I think we've seen the Connecticut Sun get really close. Uh, twice in the last four seasons um, with other close semifinal losses in between the 2019 and the 2022 final runs. Um, but what, whatever it was, there was just something slightly off in the core. Um, obviously the, the Sun were doing it primarily without Jasmine Thomas this season, but the Sun are going to look a little bit different, at least without Brianna Jones. Um, but it, it could be interesting to see maybe that change is what propels the team um there's such a small margin of error for a lot of these teams um sometimes one injury can really derail a team but that wasn't the case for the sun this season um just excited to see how it plays out um if they're able to make um some interesting salary cap moves but every team always surprises me uh in the off season with free agency so just excited to see what the sun do uh in that regard before we end the segment, I'd like to whip around on ways to grow the game and, and the visibility of these star athletes. Lindsey D'Arcangelo, WNBA schedule has uh, increased to, to 40 games. What about that? What's that going to do? I mean, we have, those of us who have been covering the league for a while now have long <clears throat> said that put more games on television, put more games out there add more games and put more games on television where people can find them because that's how you attract fans. You don't wait for the fans to come and then do that. You do that first. And it, the past few years now, the WNBA has, has, has started to do that. They've add, added more games. They've put more games um, on national television. I believe there are 160 games on national platforms this past season. And, and the result was the most viewed playoffs in, in 20 plus years and the most views, viewed regular season and, 15 or, or 16 years. So obviously the, the blueprint is right there and that's how you're going to, that's how you're going to keep growing the league. You know, you have to put the players out there. You have to make, get fans familiar with these players, get to know them, want to root for them. Um, you have to have games on television where they can go to a bar and look up on ESPN, the main channel and see a game and just, you know, that's how you attract casual fans. Uh, and that's how you increase, um, visibility. So 
Um, yeah, I don't believe they've released their, the broadcast schedule yet, but I'm not going to, I won't be surprised if more, more games are on national television uh, across the, across their, the networks that they have deals with right now. Um, and, and hopefully we'll see those numbers keep growing up, keep going up. Natalie, what's TV got to do with all this and is the league poised to perform, I guess, even better on the airways in the coming years than I guess, what was a successful 2022 campaign? What do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, as Lindsay said, you know, getting more eyes on it, making sure that games are on uh, national television. The current media deal runs through the 2025 season, um, so changes may come after that. But I think getting eyes on it, um, I grew up in Connecticut, so when I went to college in Virginia, a lot of my friends didn't watch women's basketball. But once I was able to show it to them, they were able to get into it, I think. That's really the power of having it on TV. People watch it. They fall in love with it. They enjoy watching it. And then they'll show their friends. Um, And then that kind of continues out until more and more people are watching women's basketball. And it really all starts with being able to find it. Viewership of the 2022 playoffs, according to the Washington Post, 456,000 viewers up 22% over 2021 and the most viewed WNBA postseason since 2007 real quickly Lindsay Gibbs let's have you finish it out here at least a segment and quickly what does this increased visibility what could it mean for long-term viability it's huge and this is the time the WNBA needs to maximize uh its visibility and show how many eyeballs are on it this is the time to tune in because as Natalie said their tv deal with ESPN Um, which way undervalues them, I think everyone can agree, is up in 2025. So we're going to really be starting renegotiations for that, hitting the open market. The league is hoping to get $100 million at least, is what uh, Howard Megdal of of The Next has reported. And that could change the game, you know, as far as how much these owners are willing to, to invest, how much sponsors are willing to invest, and how much they can pay players. So I think that's what we got to keep an eye on. Another thing I just want to throw in there, I know we're quick, but prioritization is a big deal coming up these next two years. With the CBA, players are going to be punished if they don't come back from overseas in time for the very beginning of the WNBA season or in a couple of years for training camp. And so we're really going to have to see if players are willing to make this commitment to the league, despite getting less money, we're going to have to see how the schedules work out. We're going to have to see how individual teams work with players um, going forward. It's a big shift, and it's something to keep an eye on. Speaking of keeping your eyes on something, there's a matchup to open the season in Los Angeles between the Sparks and potentially Brittany Griner's Phoenix Mercury on May 19th. But the WNBA season's months away. Why not talk about something, some star players to watch that you can enjoy now? Our panelists are standing by as we're going to talk quickly about women's college basketball next on Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. We are two months 
into the women's college basketball season. Here in January, we find the University of Connecticut Huskies battling through injuries, ranked number five nationally. And the team that beat UConn for the title last year, South Carolina, is number one. Joining me via Zoom to give you some teams and players to keep an eye on in the college game here in the last five minutes or so of the program, Lindsay Darkangelo of The Athletic and Just Women's Sports, Natalie Heverin of The Next and Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast, and the founder of Power Plays, Lindsay Gibbs. UConn, fifth in the country, Lindsay Darkangelo, admirable 12-2 and record, consider all they're, all they're going through with major injuries. Again this year, no Paige Beckers, Nika Mole had a concussion, Dorka Juhas broken thumb, you get it. AZ Fudd uh, hurt her near, she's back. Uh, can they keep this thing going? What do you think? I mean, every time we think uh, the Huskies are are getting knocked out, off their game and are going to struggle, they they just keep fighting, um, and that's pretty much what they've they've done all season. They fought through injuries, they've they've fought to just you know keep keep the the UConn um, expectation slash reputation going of just being one of the dominant teams in women's college basketball. It, it's pretty amazing. Um, I, I think one of the the players who has stepped up really big is Aaliyah Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's averaging 17.4 points and 9.8 rebounds this season, shooting 63.5% uh, um, from, from, from the field, which is, which is an incredible um, stat. And she's just, she's a workhorse, you know, and she's really become kind of like that go-to player, um, especially with FUD. Um, FUD really finding her rhythm in the first few months of the season and, and then having to go out with that injury. Um, ho- hopefully they'll get her back and, and they can resume. Uh, she can resume that, that leadership role, but Edwards has stepped up big time. Uh, and, and, and Mule, as far as um, distributing the ball, I mean, she's leading the country in assists right now. I believe she has 9.3 per game. Um, she's just really stepped up her game. What you're seeing is just this, this roster really, taking, you know, individual and, and team responsibility um, on themselves and, and just lifting each other up and, and, and remaining competitive. It's been fun to watch. 20-9 and nine for Aaliyah Edwards against Butler the other night, 20-10 and 10, her last five games. Lindsey Gibbs, who can stop? Uh, I got to move on now to, to South Carolina, the team that beat UConn in the championship. And uh, who's going to stop South Carolina? And let's call her the Indiana fever-bound Aaliyah Boston. Anybody. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know if anyone can stop them. I think Stanford still has the best best shot. You know, I think um, they played earlier this season. It was a phenomenal game. South Carolina did win, but I think it would you know they're very clearly the number one and number two teams in the country. But you know, Leah Boston is really interesting because she's I mean she's just getting all the attention from defenses, um, and she's actually was held to only ten points combined in the first two SEC games of the season. But her team is still winning, and she's still finding ways to contribute. So I think it's going to be a tough season for her. She's going to continue to get all the attention. But there, uh, Zaya Cook is having a really great season at South Carolina. There's so many other players. And, you know, uh, count them out uh, defending their title at your own peril because uh, they're good and tough. I think they're so much tougher than people give them credit for. Lindsay Darkangelo, which of the remaining unbeatens uh, is the realist? We got the uh, Ohio State University, Louisiana State University, and Utah. 
Yeah, so St. John's was undefeated. They got uh, upset by uh, Seton Hall uh, last night, so they are no longer undefeated. Um, so, yeah, we have South Carolina, LSU, Ohio State, and Utah. You know, Utah is kind of flying under the radar, um, particularly because they're in the Pac-12 alongside Stanford, and Stanford, you know, is is the golden child of that conference. But Utah's Utah's no joke. Um, they, could, they could give – uh, teams a lot of trouble. Um, it'll be interesting when they run up uh, against Stanford later this month to see what happens there. But um, I've, I got to believe South Carolina is still the, the top team to beat. But then you have LSU, you know, uh, they are rolling. Uh, they're leading the country with 92.4 points per game. Um, they have Angel Reese, who is a double-double machine. She is on her 14th consecutive double-double since the start of the season. Um, she's just feasting uh, around the rim, 23.9, point, 23.9 points and 14.9 rebounds per game. Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of high on LSU right now. I really want to really fast-forward to that LSU-South Carolina matchup because mm-hmm. I think it's going to be an SEC battle and, and an incredible game to watch. Running but, out um, of time in the show here. Sorry to interrupt you, Lindsay Dark Angel. I'm just going to give sorry, Natalie. I can talk about this no, all day. no problem, <laughs> Natalie Heverin. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds here. Give me some mid majors to watch. I know you follow the A10. Give me somebody uh, to to talk about and watch here. Oh, definitely out of the A10. Um, Rhode Island just beat uh, reigning A10 champion uh, UMass last night. Um, St. Joseph's also started out two and zero in conference play, and they started. Um, the season 9-0, which may surprise some people, but they really finished last season strong, um, continuing that success. And then outside of the A-10, uh, Columbia and Princeton and the Ivy League are two really exciting programs to watch. And, and we're going to have to cut it there. Friday. I am so sorry to <laughs> interrupt you guys. We had such a great time in the last segment. I asked you so many questions. Probably should have cut it down at that point. Lindsay Darkangelo, Lindsay Gibbs, and Natalie Heverin, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Today's show produced by today's show is produced by Tess Terrible. Thank you for joining Where We Live today. Our technical producer, Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. I'm Frankie Graziano. This is Where We Live. <laughs>